Okay, hello everybody. Welcome into this first episode of the third year that we have done in session for the Frederick News Post. It is our podcast covering the General Assembly. We have had somebody different each year. This year is no different as well. We are welcoming into the in session family one Samantha Hogan. How are you? I'm doing well. <laughs> That's good. You're in Annapolis right now? I am in Annapolis right now. Yep. It's been, I've been here for the past three days. How has Annapolis treated you? It's been very cold. My opening day started with a snow squall. That was not what I was expecting, but hey, I'm from Connecticut originally, so it was basically <laughs> flurries. Well, it's been an eventful uh, first three days. We should say everything began on Wednesday, I believe. Is that correct? That's right. And uh, even though we only have three days, this is probably the most eventful first episode of the session we've ever had in this long, illustrious history of this podcast, this award-winning podcast that uh, our producer is now giving me looks for. So anyway, moving on, uh, I want to start with something that, that happened uh, fairly late in the week, um, which was the news of Senate President Thomas V. Mike Miller coming down with cancer, I believe. Uh, can you tell us uh, when this happened and kind of set this up? Yeah, so President Miller um, announced um, kind of informally on the opening day of session that his health had not been well. And then on Thursday, he opened the set, the Senate session by passing out a statement that it, uh, essentially announced that he had been diagnosed with prostate cancer back in July. Um, and you're kind of asking, well, it's been several months now. Why is this news just coming out now? Well, he's going to be seeking um, chemotherapy treatment during the 2019 General Assembly session. Um, he's not planning on stepping down. He was reelected to his seat, and um, he's planning on being there. And, you know, other than a few tears and getting a little choked up at certain times, just kind of thinking about the history of what the General Assembly has done during his term, which is very, very long. Um, you know, he seems to be doing quite well, and he's still got his hair. <laughs> yeah. Well, when, was, when does he start chemotherapy, did he say? Um, he didn't give us any details, and he actually said that he wasn't going to be taking any questions from the press. But um, yeah. I'm sure if you read around or if you check back in with the FMP, we'll have some more information if it comes out. Uh, so did you get a chance to talk to anybody else in, in Annapolis about that announcement? Was this a, a surprise for most people? Um, there was definitely a buzz um, amongst the press corps when um, the information came out on opening day. I don't think people were expecting that. Um, but no, people have kind of just uh, accepted that this has happened. I mean, we'd had a governor um, who announced skin cancer during his term. We've had um, other illnesses. Um, there's actually been some deaths in some families by some elected officials. So, you know, it, not to say that cancer is anything that should be touched on lightly. Um, I think they're just ready to get started with the legislative session and they aren't really focusing on it that much. He seems in good spirits. Hmm. Well, that's good. Of course, thoughts and prayers go to him and his family. Uh, but moving forward, as you said, getting on to the actual issues and things like that this session, uh, one thing that we have talked about at length in past years is redistricting, uh, especially here in the 6th Congressional District. And here uh, it is again. <laughs> and here it is again, indeed. It's one of my favorite topics to cover and from what I understand, that there's uh, a lot to say about it, even after only three days. Yeah. So actually, we have to go back a week before session started, um, and we have to go back to last Friday, which was January 4th. And 
what has been happening is that the governor set up an emergency commission on six congressional district gerrymandering. And he set this uh, commission up in November. Um, but they met for the first time on Friday, which was the same day that the U.S. Supreme Court that actually it was going to hear the state's appeal of that, which was filed by um, Maryland Attorney General Brian Frosch, uh, trying to see if a lower court's order um, to requiring the state to redraw the 6th District ahead of the 2020 election um, should stand. Um, and the commission is being co-chaired, actually, interestingly enough, by U.S. District Judge Alexander Williams and then also Cato Senior Fellow Walter Olson, who lives here in Frederick County in, um, in Newmarket. And um, Olson told me uh, during that Friday meeting that he actually got a call from Governor Larry Hogan asking if he would chair the commission on the same day that he came on our other podcast, uh, Frederick Uncut, to discuss yeah. gerrymandering. Um, for anyone that hasn't listened to that episode from November 27th, it's definitely worth a, a listen. Yes. Um, yes. Shameless <laughs> plug. Thank you. No problem. Um, and... Uh, the next step actually is coming right here to Frederick County as well, which is um, they are ho the full nine person commission is going to be hosting a public hearing, a public listening session on how we think that the sixth district should be redrawn. And that's going to be happening at JBK Theater at FCC at 7 p.m. on Monday. Um, and just to back up and give a little bit of um context about this if anyone's forgetting this multi-year lawsuit that has been going on but essentially um, after the 2010 census uh, when our congressional election maps were redrawn the sixth district um, and the eighth district um, divided Frederick County in half where historically it had all been encompassed within the sixth congressional district and what that did was move 66,000 Republicans out of the sixth district and move 24,000 Democrats in diluting Republican votes and it led to the flipping of a congressional seat yeah this is one of the the sort of the hottest topics right now uh in in state politics and was this something just in general throughout the first three days something that you felt like a lot of people were talking about this was a, a huge priority well this has definitely been a priority for governor hogan um and he did announce on wednesday that this is going to be one of his legislative priorities he's put in similar bills in the past and they've really gone nowhere it's a democratically controlled House and Senate. Um, there was a bill passed uh, that our former reporter Danielle Gaines reported on and followed very closely, which um, tried to set up a six-state compact for all of uh, Maryland and five other states to move collectively on gerrymandering. And you know whether we're going to see a legislative solution or if we're going to see a, a you know the emergency commission come out with something or if the supreme court's going to rule something different i mean i think there's a lot of balls up in the air right now and it's really too soon to say how it's going to all pan out yeah we're definitely going to have to keep an eye on that that's probably i would guess going to be something we end up talking about every week this session would you say <laughs> i hope not but you know <laughs> for our listeners uh, sakes i hope not um but you know we'll definitely check back in on it um another another topic that uh was discussed this week of course was education and i from what i understand uh house speaker michael bush devoted a portion of his opening remarks on wednesday uh to two areas he wanted to tackle can you uh kind of elaborate on that 
Yeah, so um, in his opening remarks, he did um, mention two different prongs that he wants to attack when it comes to education, which is first that the legislator needs to figure out how it's going to implement the constitutional amendment that voters passed in November, which uh, formed this quote unquote lockbox for education funding from the state gambling revenues. Yes, I love, love a lockbox. And then the second part of this is the recommendations that are expected to come out of the State Commission on Innovation and Excellence in Education, which you will most likely hear people refer to as the Kerwin Commission. And um, essentially, this state um, commission is looking at how to most effectively and efficiently use the new money that's coming out of the uh, gambling lockbox and then also how to revolutionize Maryland's education system. But it's expected to come with a pretty hefty price tag. So we'll have to see um, what happens with that and whether or not they're really going to be able to move on at this session. Um yeah, but uh, as our rep- education reporter noted um, a couple weeks ago in the Frederick News Post, uh, some of the commission's recommendations are actually late. And uh, when it comes to reevaluating state funding formulas for schools, we might not even see anything on that until the fall of this year. So that would be after the General Assembly is out. Well, that's interesting. Uh, one one thing that really piques my interest, this was something I think we had on Frederick Uncut a week or two ago. They're entertaining the idea of gaming revenue, taking money from gambling and giving that to education. Is that correct? Yeah, historically, that's the way it's been. There's been this money that supposedly is set aside for funding education, but sometimes it was used in lieu of going above and beyond what was required. So it was used to meet the base level of funding, but it wasn't going above and beyond. What the constitutional amendment did was require the governor to put into the budget this source of revenue to go above and beyond the funding formulas. And so we're essentially trying to get more money to schools. Yeah, that that's it's, it's good to know that... Um one of my bad habits can go to help building schools. I really, <laughs> really appreciate that. Uh, something I know that you are very familiar with, I know this because you have been our environmental reporter here at the News Post for a little while now. Renewable energy is something that will be talked about and was uh, brought up this week from what I understand. What can you tell us about that? Yeah, so last year, last session in 2018, I got my first taste of political reporting by covering two separate bills that were looking at the state's renewable portfolio standard. And whenever I say that, I I realize I'm going to get really deep into the weeds really quick. So let me just say... I have no idea what that means. The renewable portfolio standard sets the percent of electricity utilities need to buy credits for so that 25% of Maryland's power is represented by renewable sources by 2020. So sometimes when we think about the renewable portfolio standard, we're thinking that that means that 25% of our electricity is on the ground solar, in the off the coast wind. It's not always in-state sources, and that has caused some contention. But what this session is hopefully going to focus on is uh, Senator Brian Feldman of Montgomery County is planning to put back in a bill that died in committee last year known as the Maryland Clean Energy Jobs Act. And it will double the renewable portfolio standard and set the state on a path to get to 100% clean energy. And it's seen as a compromise bill to last session when environmental advocacy groups were split between two bills. One was supporting 50% renewable energy, and the other way was to scrap that really complicated renewable portfolio standard that I just talked about like altogether and focus on producing 100% clean renewable energy in Maryland. Now, the 50% 
compromise bill is still definitely ambitious, but the political climate has shifted a bit since even 2018 with um, several big climate change reports coming out. And Hogan uh, wrote an op-ed that was published in the Washington Post in December with Virginia Democratic uh, Governor Ralph Northam. And it was calling for bipartisan action on climate change, which is a notable shift for a guy that vetoed the last proposal to increase the renewable portfolio standard in 2016, which then the legislator ultimately overrode in 2017. Now, the only thing that I'm going to caution this with before we jump off my renewable energy and um, environmentally minded uh, reporting stuff is that one potential kill for this bill would be if if another bill surfaced like it did in 2018. And uh, Senator Feldman and I got to talk about this. He's really working behind the scenes to try and find a compromise lang- to find compromise language so that a second bill doesn't surface and hopefully that they can get this through both chambers and onto the governor's desk. Have you heard by chance uh, uh, if there is a second bill in the works, if, if, there, if that is something being talked about? It's really about bringing unity between all the different environmental groups. Um, two big groups that you'll always hear at um, different committee hearings are CCAN, which is the Chesapeake Climate Action Network, and then the Sierra Club. And um, sometimes they don't see eye to eye on all the issues. You know, one was in one camp last year, one was in the other camp this year. So Instead of getting another senator or a delegate to put forward a different bill like there was last year, he's he's really uh, striving to find some unity and make everyone at least happy with something. He's open to floor amendments. He's open to compromises. Um, but he, you know, a second bill would split, split, you know, split their voices. Mm-hmm. Well, that'll be interesting. We'll have to keep an eye on that. Of course, we will. Uh, compromise seems to be such an such an odd word in modern day politics so hopefully everybody can get along are you excited to see people compromise this year by the way well i mean i've never seen it another way i've only you know (laughs) seen it at the town level where i've seen compromise sometimes work or i've seen it at the county level um i you know i think people are pretty fed up with how the federal government is functioning at this time so and it's the beginning you know i'm hearing over and over it's the beginning of a four-year term um, people are willing to be a little bit more ambitious. They're not so worried about um, re-election, though I think that's always in the back of people's minds. So we could see some compelling stuff happen this uh, session. I'm hoping for it. Oh, we are definitely hoping for it. Uh, wh- and wrapping things up, uh, at least one more issue. You talked about compromise. One place uh, that you did note is having trouble compromising right now is at the federal level. And we are currently experiencing a uh, government shutdown, of course. We are all familiar with that. And as it goes, uh, tomorrow would mark the longest shutdown in uh, history if it doesn't end. Has this been talked about in Annapolis this week? Um, yeah, actually. Uh, Senator, uh, U.S. Senator Ben Cardin, uh, when he came to the House of Delegates for the swearing in of the new members, um, he really lambasted his chamber for not being open and not being functioning and, and really uh, applauded the Maryland um you know, delegates for being there and being ready to do something to help their state. Um, Congressman Jamie Raskin also had a rally in Silver Spring this week. And the governor on multiple occasions has been calling on um, President Donald Trump to reopen the government. Um, But as of today, um, several hundred thousand federal employees are expected not to receive a paycheck. 
Um, this is the first one since the um, shutdown began on December 22nd. So that's a long time. That's a lot of money for a lot of these families and these workers. Um, and it is going to be the longest shutdown um, if it doesn't end by Saturday. Um, the last longest one happened during um, President Bill Clinton's administration when he was uh, fighting with a GOP-controlled Congress in 1995 to 1996. We're kind of in a very similar situation. Um, we're going to have to see what happens. If, if we uh, tape an episode of In Session next week and by that time the government is still shut down, I would think there's going to be a lot of people talking about it. Yeah, I mean, uh, several lawsuits have come out in the past couple days um, about, you know, not receiving a paycheck. You know, when you're when you're dealing with someone's livelihood, when you're dealing with their ability to pay for their mortgage, their car, put food on their tables. I mean, we rely so heavily on the federal government and um, so many people in Maryland and Frederick County rely on the federal government for jobs. Um, it's it's just going to hit home, unfortunately. I have to ask you, in addition to all of the, the things that we've covered uh, for these first three days, how, how else are things looking for the rest of 2019 for the, the session? Anything else that sticks out that you know uh, should be, uh, we should be keen to follow as everything unfolds? Yeah, I've definitely heard rumblings about minimum wage being discussed again. Uh, Speaker Ooh. Bush did uh, mention that that is something he expects to reach his chamber, though he was noncommittal about that reaching a conclusion um, in 2019. Um, I think we're also going to see some liquor laws uh, definitely heavily debated. I was just at a delegation meeting today where they're considering um, an exemption um, in Frederick County for mom and pop grocery stores to sell uh, wine and beer. Um, this would particularly deal with the common market who's looking to put some local or some organically produced uh, wines and beers in in its shop. Um, but, you know, I, I'm hearing how this could be, you know, opening the window that allows some other chains to have standing to say, well, if they are allowed to do it, why can't we? Um, so I think there's going to be some interesting debates on there. Um, uh, some brewers associations were also to, looking to lift some barrel caps. Um, so definitely alcohol is going to be something that comes up. And I'm trying to think what else. Um, uh, Delegate Jesse Pippi, who is a freshman and literally has been with the General Assembly for three days, already has... Um, Proposals to change an ethics law from last year. Um, he was serving on the county uh, liquor board when he was, uh, and he had an open campaign finance account. And he's looking to essentially clarify in language what happens if you're serving on a, a commission and you have an open campaign finance account. Can you close it and stay on the board? Um, and he had to resign, um, but now he's obviously been elected to the General Assembly, and he'll be able to work on that directly. So um, some interesting stuff for sure, and I, I'm sure much more is going to surface that I don't even know about yet. <laughs> is it is it intimidating to be in Annapolis for the first time like this? Yes, absolutely. Okay. <laughs> You're surrounded by people that just eat, breathe, live, sweat, Um the general assembly and state politics and i'm over here covering environment and agriculture which are very important beats for frederick county and i've enjoyed so much um so i'm hoping to bring that unique knowledge there and um kind of hone in on some bills that 
are going to make a difference for farmers or make a different uh, difference for some environmentalists out here. Um, obviously, actually, just dawning on me, transportation is going to be another huge topic. Um, we're going to get a pre-solicitation report on expansions for I-270, which may include toll lanes. I've already heard a lot of chatter on that. Um, yeah, so it's going to it's going to be jam packed. <laughs> I will ask you this every week. Uh, if you have heard anything about the left lane bill. Not yet. <laughs> it is it is it is a law outlawing slow drivers on the left to get over. Oh, passing. Yes. Yes. Passing. Graham's face right now is beat red because he knows how much I care about this bill. All those slow drivers need to get off the road. No, I haven't. I haven't heard anything yet, but it doesn't mean no one's talking about it. So. <laughs> I can definitely make a note and get okay. back to you on that. <laughs> I'm going to keep my fingers crossed that something happens. Finally, after years and years of torturous driving, that something happens. We always uh, end every episode. Last year with Kelsey, the year before with Danielle, I would be remiss if I didn't do it this way. You are in Annapolis. You're spending all of your time in Annapolis. This week, did you have anything good to eat at any of the eateries in Annapolis? No, I am a, a strong proponent for packing lunch and saving money. Oh, no. So I had some knockoff Cheez-Its from <laughs> Aldi, which are definitely one of my favorite snacks. And I did eat those all three days that I was <laughs> <laughs> at this session. I thought about getting coffee. I'll, I'll try and get coffee for you next week and tell okay. you um, about whatever kind of latte I get. Fair enough. That works. That works. Uh, Samantha Hogan, how can people find you on Twitter? Um, so it's S-A Hogan, H-O-G-A-N. Um, okay. It's a pretty simple one. I am not related to the governor, if any of you are thinking that. Um, <laughs> that was my next question, so I'm glad you cleared that up. No, he doesn't come to my Thanksgiving, and I'm oh, not invited so to sad. his. That's so sad. That's so sad. Uh, we thank you so much for your time. We know you're very busy. We'll catch up with you next week. But thank you so much, Samantha. Thanks so much for listening.